Welcome to the Faith Today podcast, conversations inspired by Canada's Christian magazine. Drew Dick's latest book is called Your Future Self Will Thank You, Secrets to Self-Control from the Bible and Brain Science. My name is Karen Stiller, and Drew spoke with me about the science behind habit building, about spiritual disciplines, and about what we can learn from the Bible about all these things. I love that a little subtitle on his book is A Guide for Sinners, Quitters, and Procrastinators. I don't know about you, but I do find myself in that subtitle, and I enjoyed my talk with Drew. So Drew, first of all, I would love to know, why did you write this book? Well, I wish I could say it's because I just had an academic interest in the topic, (laughs) or that people kept coming up to me and saying, Drew, you have such incredible discipline and self-control. What's your secret? Right, (laughs) right. Unfortunately, uh, that's not the case. Uh, It's just the opposite. In fact, it was because I realized that this was an area of weakness in my own life. Uh, And in fact, initially, when I was researching for the book, I didn't know I was researching for the book because I wasn't planning on writing a book on this topic. I was just reading uh, various books on related topics really for myself. And I don't know where it was. Somewhere in that process, I started to kind of read some things that I thought were really interesting. And I thought, hey, maybe this there's a book here. And that's my hope is that the book is as helpful for other people uh, that want to grow in this area of self-control as it has been for me. You use the term in in the book that really jumped out at me, the fierce fruit of self-control, which I I really liked that. Um, Tell me how you are defining self-control. What is self-control? Yeah, that's and that's a deceptively simple question too, because yeah, you think, oh, I know what self-control is, but I had to really kind of go, do I? Because there's a lot involved, especially if you're talking about self-control as a biblical concept. Um, and so I, I define it fairly simply, and that is the the ability to do the right thing even when you don't feel like it, right? Yeah. And sometimes that means you know um, fending off temptation and resisting behaviors and sins and vices that we shouldn't engage in. And other times it means overcoming your apathy, your laziness to actually do something that you should be doing. And so when you understand, you know, those two things and in theological terms, we put it in, you know, in terms of sins of omission and commission, Mm -hmm. right? And when you see how much that involves in your life, you realize how important this topic is (laughs) because it affects just every area of your life. And uh, researchers call this an instrumental virtue. That is, it's not just important in and of itself, but it actually enables you to grow in the other areas of your life. If you want to be faithful or generous or kind, all of these things demand self-control. So of course, I'm a little biased because I wrote a book on the topic, but I believe it's a hugely important subject. Yeah. So the ability to do the right thing, even when you don't feel like it, but also, of course, as you said, not not doing the wrong thing. Right. Yeah. And so that involves just about every decision that you face, right? <laughs> so. Yeah. And the Bible, of course, you your your book, Secrets of Self-Control from the Bible and Brain Science. So you're digging into scripture and sharing the Bible. And you talk about the Bible portraying self-control as the path to freedom, which of course, like on the surface, self-control doesn't sound like any fun, right? It's about right. me not eating all the jujubes or something um, when I want to. So help us understand, you know, the biblical view of it and why it's, why it's so foundational. Yeah, it does get a bad rap, I think, especially in this cultural moment. 
uh, because we're in a society, I think that's much more about self-expression, you know, just kind of like if something, if something appeals to you, that means it's maybe something that's in your heart and you need to explore it. And there's nothing wrong with self-expression. But I think that when you start talking about self-control, a lot of people think that sounds repressive and Victorian or something. (laughs) And so, um, and I get that, but I think it's too bad that it has that bad rap because biblically speaking, it is, like you said, what leads to freedom. Uh, And I think, I mean, if you think about this a little bit, you realize that's true. You know, when Mm -hmm. say it's like in your finances, right? It feels pretty good and freeing to go rack up your credit cards, right? And spend as much as you can. But of course that bill comes due. And what happens if you don't exercise self-control in the moment, your life actually gets narrower and and, and things get more difficult for you. But if you, if you learn to um, exercise self-control and you cooperate with God's spirit in your life. And that's a hugely important part of this topic too. Obviously we're not in this alone as Christians. God promises to come alongside us and help us grow in this area. But if you do that, your life actually opens up because then you're enabled to say no to selfish and sinful impulses and to love people like you should and to love God like you should. And so to me, that's really exciting when I think about it in those terms, that it's this tool that enables you to find flourishing and freedom. Yeah. You know, I remember the first time years ago when um, the first time I heard the Ten Commandments explained as, you know, good for us. <laughs> yeah. And I and I it was actually I mean, it's I must have been maybe I was kind of dumb, but the, uh, this big light went on and I was like, yeah, because if I it's better for me not to kill someone. It's better for me <laughs> and my life as well. Like these things keep me safe and help me grow. Yeah. And isn't that true about all God's commands, right? It's the, yeah. They're good. And they're not just like these arbitrary restrictions to make us miserable and okay, fine, I'll do it. You know, um, Yeah. Ultimately, they're for our good and for other people's good as well. And sometimes we can't see that because in the moment, oh man, this this would feel so good to do, or this, this is something that seems like my right to do. Uh, but ultimately, God knows what's best for us. Um, and, and to say no to some of those things in the short term is going to be far better for us long term. I wanted to also ask you about sort of the journey toward holiness, because I feel that um, something in our culture, our Christian culture specifically in the last maybe 20 to 25 years, it feels to me like we've, we've, we're doing far better at sort of accepting our brokenness to use that term, but maybe sometimes dwelling there a bit too long and forgetting about the call to holiness and I wondered uh, if you could speak to that in terms of the role of self-control and, you know, good habits and so on. Like we are supposed to be growing. Sure. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think sometimes, you know, holiness is another thing that gets a bad rap. First of all, it just sounds kind of stodgy and weird. You know, not many people are yeah. like, yes, I'm on the path to holiness. You know? <laughs> right. <laughs> so, right. We don't like to say that, right? Because then it sounds like we're we're not anymore because we just right, threw exactly. humility out the window. Yes. You sound self-righteous and pharisaical and weird. Yeah. But of course, if you really understand what, you know, the Bible is talking about when it says strive for, for godliness and holiness, uh, we're talking about becoming like Jesus, right? Um, and so, you know, less self-centered, less judgmental, all those things. So it's a good thing, uh, I think, to to want to grow in holiness. And yeah, I think, you know, it's a, it's a mixed blessing because there has been this emphasis, I think, in Christian circles on being transparent, being authentic, and that's good, right? Instead of pretending you have it all together, confessing that you're broken, that you're sinful. Um, although, yeah, we, we tend to prefer the word broken over sinful for some reason, uh, which I get. Um, but 
at the same time, I think there is a shadow side to that where we kind of go, okay, I'm just broken. We're all broken. You're broken. Yeah, I'm broken too. And we just kind of sit in this. <laughs> yes, <laughs> let's we have, be broken I mean, together. Let's be broken together. And that's great to kind of as a, as a basis, as a starting point to go, hey, listen, let's be honest about where we're at, okay? Because that's that's crucial, I think, to growing. But yeah. you don't want to stay there, right? Um, and this is a challenge because, uh, yeah, we and sometimes we think that any sort of progress in the spiritual life is, is sort of viewed as suspicion that we're saying that we're kind of better than someone else. That's not the case at all. But the pattern, and this is what frustrated me so much looking at my own spiritual journey, is I go, you know, am I really any any less selfish and more like Jesus this year than I was last year? And often the answer is no. And that's a problem because I think the pattern of the Christian life, you know, we're never going to arrive. I mean, some there are some Christians that think that, that's like, okay, you know, I haven't sinned in five years or something. Um, I don't believe that. I think that we're so shot through with sinful impulses that we never, at least on this side of heaven, arrive at some sort of, of total sanctification, to use the theological term. But I do believe that we should be making progress. And I think when you read scripture, you know, the Bible says it's it's God's will for us to grow in godliness. And so that should be the pattern in the Christian life that we're looking a little more like Jesus every year and that we are overcoming these vices. We're not doomed to sit in them. And of course, to bring it back to self-control, self-control is a huge part of being able to do that. Yeah, well, keep keep going with that, Drew. Tell us uh, the role of self control, and I know it. There's a lot of shared territory with habits, so maybe you could explain that. Yeah, sure. Which is basically well, I mean, your whole book. Explain your whole book. <laughs> <laughs> hey, listen, I love it. Okay, I mean, if someone's going to ask me about it. I'll I'll, I'll give them uh, my opinions. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I think you know the the first thing to say is that, and I just want to kind of get this out of the way because a lot of people are like, okay well, you're talking about this as if you can just kind of pull yourself up by your spiritual bootstraps and become an awesome Christian by yourself. And I'm not saying that at all. Um, Self-control, of course, in scripture, Galatians, is called a fruit of the spirit. And that's critical because um, it's that, that means it's not just an independent virtue, something I can muster up myself. Uh, Paul's using a metaphor there in the same way that a plant or a tree has to be connected to the ground in order to bear fruit. In the same way, we have to be connected to God if we want to see these fruit grow in our lives. And that's true of self-control as well, which is counterintuitive because it's self-control. But in the scriptural sense, it's actually something that God helps you to grow in your life. So that that's number one. Um, and then, yeah, one of the, the kind of aha moments for me <laughs> studying this topic was looking at the role of things like willpower. So about 20 years ago, there's this huge landmark study on willpower that basically discovers that willpower, that is our ability to do something difficult or withstand temptation, uh, this, this thing called willpower is a finite resource. In other words, it runs out. It runs out rather quickly, in fact. Uh, they call it ego depletion. Okay, so as we do something difficult, we might like to think that we can kind of fend off temptation indefinitely or continue to do something difficult, but we actually get weaker as we go. And when I saw that, I thought, wow, that just mirrors what scripture says about us, that we're these finite fallen creatures uh, that are very limited. Um, but this is where habits come in, because I read a lot about habits as well. And habits are just these automatic routines that we build into our lives. Some of them are very bad, you know, if it's smoking or binge watching Netflix or, <laughs> you know, um, but some of them can be very good. And the exciting thing about a good habit is that if you're able to establish it in your life, then you're doing something virtuous, maybe reading your Bible, praying, running, whatever, something that's actually good for you. 
and it's unconscious. You're almost just doing it on default. Um, and the exciting thing about that is you're not using willpower. That precious commodity of willpower uh, is not being expended because it is limited and it does run out. Okay, so, can I, Drew, yes. let me interrupt there for a second because I no, do find please. that part confusing a little bit. That if so, willpower uh, is different from self-control and that it's not like a muscle that can be exercised and grow stronger if, if we can deplete it or am I, help me. Yeah. This is where I'm going to mix some metaphors, which I hate okay, to do because I'm ahead. an author and editor. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, um, I ran into a couple of metaphors as I was researching the literature on this topic on, on willpower. One of them is it's like a battery, right? And like a battery, it gets weaker. It kind of gets, it, it draws down until it's empty. Um, and the other metaphor though was it's like a muscle because okay. the other thing about willpower, it is, um, it, it gets weaker just like a muscle. If you lift, you know, um, hundred pounds over and over, even if you're very strong, eventually you're going to get tired. Uh, but like a muscle the next day, or maybe two days after that muscle is going to be stronger for having experienced that resistance and willpower is very much like this. Uh, there are all these kind of funky studies about how, even if you use your non-dominant, usually your left hand, uh, to do tasks because it takes this conscious kind of effort, it will actually increase your willpower in other areas of your life too. Right. And so, yeah, it is like a muscle, it grows, but even as it gets stronger, ultimately it's still pretty limited. So that's again, where habits come in because okay, yeah, then they can kind of let you run on autopilot where you're not expending your willpower. Like, I mean, you think of the person who gets up and runs five miles every morning, which is not me by the way, but <laughs> yeah, um, I know that. <laughs> <laughs> you know that from reading, from reading my book, um, but they're not slapping themselves in the face and going, oh man, I got to get psyched up. This is so hard. It's like, no, it's just automatic, right? They're just getting okay. out there and feel weird not yeah. to do it, right? And so that's the key for all kinds of things. And, and some people can kind of go, oh, that doesn't sound very spiritual, especially when applied to the spiritual life. But I think that's the ultimate goal is not to outgrit temptation at every turn and have to like get all psyched up every day to do the right thing. It's when these things just become second nature, when they're just kind of stitched into the fabric of our lives and we live as we should without a lot of effort. So that you mentioned temptation, um, because I think we overestimate our ability to resist temptation. And you touch on that in the book as well. That, And that always leads to trouble. I, I believe I'm, you know, when we think we won't do something, that's the uh, first wrong step. Can you unpack that a bit? Yes, you're absolutely correct. We greatly overestimate our ability to withstand temp temptation, especially when we're tempted the second, third, fourth time. Um, and part of the problem is, you know, and researchers talk about this, we make a lot of goals and plans when we're in what they call a cool state. That is, we are not, say it's, it's you're eating poorly and that's your, your vice. Um, well, you might make your diet when you're not hungry, uh, when you're feeling confident, when you're well rested. Uh, and so you go, oh yeah, tomorrow I'm going to eat all salads and I'm going to eat all this kale and Brussels sprouts and whatever. I'm not going to, I'm going to resist the pizza, the chocolate cake. Um, because at that moment, you don't really desire those things. But then all of a sudden, you know, your, your job gets stressful. Maybe you're fighting with uh, one of your family members. That willpower is being depleted by all of those, incidentally. And then you're hungry. And then you're in a hot state. And the plans that you made in the cool state just evaporate. <laughs> because now the game has changed. Um, and so one way to kind of uh, guard against that is to uh, actually you know, make a life script when you are in those tempting situations, things that you're gonna default to. So you go, when I'm hungry, I am going to do X or planning your meals out in advance. Any sort of kind of pre 
planning precautions against temptation is going to make you more successful and realizing that you're weak, realizing that you're going to likely cave if you don't have a plan in place going in. Because yeah, right now you feel great that you can withstand temptation, but in the moment you're definitely going to be weaker. So are those the bright lines you refer to in the book? Can you explain the bright lines? Sure. Yeah, that's one strategy, bright line strategy, uh, which is really effective. And basically, this is just making hard and fast rules about certain behaviors you're going to avoid. So for instance, um, you know, if ice cream is your vice uh, when it comes to eating, maybe your bright line is, I won't have ice cream in my refrigerator. Uh, I, you know, Maybe I can eat it when I go to a restaurant or to a friend's house. What that does, though, is it just kind of eliminates a lot of the temptation that you face when it comes to that one particular temptation. Or like for me, I mean, I have a heck of a time staying off my phone, right? It's kind of just kind of like my go-to thing when I'm a little bored or irritated. It's like I can pick up my phone and hop on social media, and and that's something that I like to curtail. And so maybe you say, you know what, I'm not going to look at my phone unless it's an emergency or someone calls me past 8 p.m. every night. That's a bright line for me, right? So then, and what that does, going back to willpower, it actually preserves your willpower because then when you get tempted to hop on Facebook or something at 8.45, you go, oh, no, after 8, I don't look at my phone. And so you can just kind of dismiss it out of hand rather than going, okay, how much have I looked at my phone today? Can I get on right now? Is that okay? Um, And so, yeah, those are just ways to preserve willpower. And also, especially when it comes to technological devices, man, if we do not carve out some time where we put them aside (laughs) and just look at people face-to-face, they will just kind of crowd into every area of our life. Uh, And speaking of which, and as you know, I got a whole chapter in the book on tech because mm-hmm. it it drains our willpower and, and it has a lot of, I'm not saying it's totally wrong and stuff. I mean, obviously, you know, I, I've got to do it just for my job. I've got to be on email and social media. But if we don't place limits on it, it will really uh, take its toll. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I will say, though, I find you very funny on Twitter. I think you do oh, Twitter well. You. <laughs> um, but I, I can draw a straight line from my uh, from discontent to social media. Like I, oh, it's man. very clear to me. <laughs> Isn't that true? <laughs> yes. And yeah, I mean, I, I found the, the research fascinating on this too, how it like kind of gives you a little dopamine hit when you go online, especially when you see someone liked your thing or retweeted or shared your post or something. But dopamine actually isn't the feel good chemical. It's something that creates arousal and a desire for something else. And so you're never really satisfied, but you anticipate being satisfied by social media. It's not satisfying in the same way that face-to-face interactions are. So yeah, it's, I mean, and as you know, I'm on there a lot and it does have value, but it can't, it can't be your main thing and you definitely have to limit your use of it. Yeah. Well, I like, the, I like this idea of bright lines as kind of a set of personal commandments almost to get back to the mm-hmm. 10 commandment uh, point we made earlier. Um, Drew, your, the, the book title, A Guide for Sinners, Quitters, and Procrastinators, uh, that's sort of a subtitle, I guess. But so, so now let, as we wind up, let's think of all the sinners, quitters, and procrastinators out there. What, what sort of quick tips, if there's such a thing, we love quick tips. Uh, Could you give somebody who kind of feels a bit of a wreck, but they want to start moving toward 
greater self-control and specifically, you know, the spiritual disciplines that you uh, talk about and really experiment with throughout the book. Sure. Yeah. And that, that subtitle is kind of funny because that kind of hits everyone, right? Sinners, quitters, and procrastinators. I I had someone say, well, Drew, I'm not a sinner, quitter, or procrastinator. So should I read the book? And I said, well, it's also for liars. So it's perfect for you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Good. Absolutely. (laughs) So yeah. I mean, one thing that was really a revelation for me was reading about keystone habits. So we talked a little bit about habits, these automatic routines in your life, but a keystone habit is something that actually not only is valuable in and of itself, but exerts a positive influence across the spectrum of your life. And so it's something that like, okay, one example that researchers talk about is having meals together as a family is a keystone habit because families that do that, they have better marriages, their children even get better grades. You know, all these positive life outcomes are associated with that one activity. Uh, Exercise is another one. Spiritually speaking, prayer is a huge keystone habit. And uh, the exciting thing to me is that you don't even have to do it for that long or be good at it. If you even, you know, set your alarm for five minutes of prayer or meditation every morning, they're all, all, there's all this research that shows that that will actually, in addition to being valuable in and of itself, as we know as Christians, we want to commune with God, but it will also make you more disciplined in your work, more patient, less angry. They're all these sort of ancillary benefits to just doing that one thing. And so sometimes this can seem overwhelming. It's like, okay, I'm not a very self-controlled person. I'm not very disciplined. How can I just like overhaul my entire life? I think that's the wrong way to think. You want to start really small because remember your willpower is limited. It's like a muscle. It might be pretty weak, but you can just start one little habit. Maybe it's just praying five minutes every morning and you'll be amazed at the snowball effect that creates in your life because all of a sudden you're showing discipline in other areas. And like I was saying earlier, God also, I believe, honors our obedience when we engage in spiritual disciplines, when we want to know him more. He comes alongside us and in a mystical way empowers us to live the Christian life. So that's exciting. Yeah, oh, that is. Thank you, Drew, so much. Where can people find you online? Not that we want to send people online, but if they were going to go online, where <laughs> could they find you? Well, yeah, I, as you mentioned, I'm on Twitter. I spend too much time there, but I'd love to connect with people there. And my handle's just my name, Drew Dick. Um, uh, also, I have a website that's just my name as well. And you can read some kind of excerpts from the book and see some cheesy pictures of uh, me and my family. <laughs> wow, yeah, that's so. wonderful. All right. Well, thank you, Drew, so much. Well, thank you, Karen. This has been a really fun conversation. And it's always so good to reconnect with fellow Canadians and my yes. Canadian roots. Um, one of my friends uh, told me recently that I sound like a Southern politician because I've been in the States too long. So <laughs> <laughs> I, I got to come home more. Thank you for listening. Check out more podcasts and subscribe to Faith Today magazine for free at faithtoday.ca. This podcast is produced by the Evangelical Fellowship of Canada. If you enjoyed it, please rate or share it.